Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Ponytails Podcast. I am your host, Andres Gamboa. Thank you for being here. Really quick, if this is your first episode, if you don't know what ponytails means, if you uh, never sold books, quick refresher. So uh, we interview people who sold books door to door for a company called Southwestern Advantage. This company has been around since 1868, literally maybe a little bit further than that, but literally since like just after the Civil War. And they recruit these college kids to go door to door selling books for 80 hours a week during their college summers on straight commission, sometimes without even a place to live. Now, I myself did this for four summers and all of our guests did this for anywhere from one to sometimes even 12, 15 and made a career out of this whole job. So what we do is we interview them and see what they're up to now, see what their life is like because of this experience. Sometimes it's been good, sometimes not so hot, but either way, their experience is what we look to uh, uncover and see how they have used these skills this like Swiss army knife of leadership and, and management to career, to further their careers. So hopefully you guys enjoy. Oftentimes we get some crazy stories. Sometimes it's a lot more motivational. Sometimes it's just funny. Sometimes it's really uh, uh, more like informational. So regardless of why or how you got here, hope you enjoy the show. Make sure you guys subscribe and like, or go check out other episodes if you like this one. So uh, on that note, really quick, my guest today is Rebecca Gebhardt. Oh, I'm excited for this one. Uh, I've heard really, really great things from both Lee McCroskey and Alicia Huck. So they were like, you got to get Rebecca on. She's, she's great. So we finally were able to do it. She's originally from Maple, or sorry, from Reedsville, Wisconsin, and is currently in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Uh, she was part of the Power Organization and went to Market University, working with the OIS uh, organization under Chris Fugman. She sold from 2000 to 2005 for six summers and her favorite scroll is i will persist until i succeed so when i come back we'll be on with rebecca boom hello hello those horse horse hooves running were dun -dun -dun -dun. that was a good a good little oh a little bit <laughs> The little like, t -t 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 I we, we throw those Easter eggs in there in case people catch them. Like, I don't know if you noticed, but there's also like a knock at the beginning. Yeah. There's like a knock, knock, knock. And then at the end, when we do our outro, there's like a door closing. So, yeah. It's the little I, I, details, right? <laughs> I don't know if anybody's caught it yet. You're the first one that actually kind oh. of really, Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for being here. Um, I know we have a, a more of a tighter episode today, which is fine. We like the variety. This is great. So on that note, Let's jump right in. Um, I always, always try to start out with, hey, what have you been up to since 2005? How'd you end up here? How'd you get to where you were? Um, this can be as detailed of a story as you wish or as uh, generalized as, as you want. Uh, what's your experience been like since you left? How'd you get here? Yeah. So, yep. 2005, I had, oh, I went to Marquette University for four years and then I full-timed at the University of Iowa for two and I remember having a conversation with Fugman um, between college and I was supposed to go to work, right? I was like, I have an HR degree. I should use this HR degree. I don't know what I want to do. And he was really trying to get me to full-time recruit. I, I hadn't been successful recruiting up to that point. And I had said, you know, it really feels like the full-timers are just really immature people that don't want to grow up. Like that was my view of the full-timers, right? Like they were partying, they were drinking, they just wanted to be the big dogs around, you know, um, a little Matthew McConaughey, you know, and 
anyway so we all had the same experience didn't we <laughs> yeah we did we did and i just i didn't want to do it because i hadn't been successful at it and he said listen i'm gonna put you at university of iowa with mike rolling and you'll be fine and i that was the first time i ever thought about instead of what recognition am i going to get for the people i recruit you know or I was like, I'm going to do this for a year. And when I leave Southwestern, I just want to have some sort of ripple effect, right? So when I leave, there is somebody there that's there because somebody I recruited, right? Like the tree would kind of be big. And it that was the first time in my life I took the focus off myself because I think a lot of us who were attracted to work there were just craving attention, right? We were craving recognition. We just kind of attracted that type of, you know, high performer that needed that. And I went, okay, let me spin this. And so um, had a mm -hmm. phenomenal year. We had a top five team, uh, recruited 10, seven made the seven finished and six hit the sizzler. And that was a, a really fun Costa Rica trip for, for that group. Then I came back the next year and was awful. Like it was really bad. So I, I remember talking to Fred Prevost and I was like, Fred, I'm done. Don't even try to sell me. He's like, okay. And I was like, maybe the first person Fred didn't try to get back another time. He just knew I was done. Um, and then I, I moved to Denver, worked with Family Heritage for nine years. And I remember walking into Joni Bickney's office and said, I'm not effing selling insurance. I said, like, show me something. What, right. We've been, we were sold the whole time at Southwestern everyone's clamoring at your door. And then when I got to career services at the time, it was like, you can go work with a sister company. So we get paid commission mm -hmm. on placing you. And I was like, where are all the companies, you know? Um, so I was really not interested. Peter Foray, I was interested in Peter Foray. I was very impressed with him. I was impressed with the people I would be working with. And I thought, you know, an average HR salary is $40,000 a year. That's what I made last summer selling books. Why don't I try this sales thing? And um, was terrible at it. <laughs> it's really the same thing, right? We were still knocking on doors. Um, and uh, the goal was to get 30 demos a week. And, you know, you sell five, right? Or so that was like sell five out of 30. Typically, I sold nothing my first week. And it wasn't until my 62nd demo on a Friday of my second week, I actually sold a policy which was traumatic, right? I thought I was successful. I knew what I was doing. And then <laughs> the world was like, no, no, you really are terrible. So um, <laughs> I learned persistence, right? I learned how to do it. I didn't want to quit, right? There's this, you don't want to be a, a an early champion. Is that what we call oh, it? Yeah, you bet. You bet that's exactly what we call it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> early champions. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to be an early champion. And um, anyway, but really... So it's funny, like my memories of Southwestern aren't as strong as my family heritage memories because there were so many book people that I worked with. And when I look back, I'm like, did I learn that at Southwestern? Did I learn that at family heritage? So I get a little bit um, mixed up with that, mm. but worked real hard, worked the same way I worked at books and eventually burnt out. Um, was Was pretty successful. I had big teams. I just didn't want to do... I just don't want to do it anymore. And I didn't know how to exit gracefully. And so it took me another year and a half or two years to figure out. And so um, I was able to gracefully leave when I was pregnant with our second child, who is now almost nine. So um, oh, nice. 
Yeah. And then I was stay-at-home mom for a few years, which was awful. I'm not a good stay-at-home mom. I, uh, I'm not good at doing nothing. But I took that time. And because of the residual income from Family Heritage, I was able to still get a full-time income and just think, like, what do I want to do with my life? How do I want to contribute? Where is the value? Like, a lot of the crap that people went through with COVID of like, you know, that, that the crisis everyone had, this existential crisis of what in the hell am I doing with my life? I had yeah. that when I was 33. And um, through that time, did a lot of personal development. And then I thought I'm going to launch my own consulting business. And I tried, I dabbled my hands. I did a little bit of a Rodan and Fields, which I learned a lot about social selling and learning how to do videos. Just it's a different ball game, right? I, I always laugh when I see salespeople post to social media and I'm like, that is the best guarantee of a job for a marketer ever is seeing a salesperson post on social media because they don't know how to sell. Um, anyway, so I, I learned I learned that stuff, was very thankful for that. But I was like, this is not, I mean, it's just whatever. So I launched my consulting firm thinking I was going to work with women, women entrepreneurs. And I set my business up the way every other coaching company does of two calls a month, you know, sure. two calls a month. And you can't scale a business that way. It's a really, if, if you're by yourself, if I, if I have, you know, multi-level marketing people below me, it's not the worst model, but I, I didn't want to do that because I'd done that for 15 years. And um, yeah. anyway, I'm like, this is, I got to, I got to call people all the time. And I just, I, I cold called 50,000 people. I don't want to do it anymore. So some of that trauma is like, I ain't doing it. So I um, set it up that way. And I went, women entrepreneurs have no money, you know? So I'm like, I want to help them, but they're just getting started, you know? So I'd be like $600 a month. They were like, no. And I went, that's not going to work. Uh, COVID hit, most of my clients uh, dropped me. And then I had a call from a Southwestern alumni, his name's Justin. And he had said, hey, um, a bunch of people on this person's team are going to go work with this other consulting firm. And I don't want them to get coaching. You know our business. Um, and so I went, okay. So I started coaching sales leaders and um, having the same conversation over and over with sales leaders. Then they were like newer sales leaders. And I went, why is no one coaching new sales leaders? Like, why do we group leadership in general together and all sales leadership together? And when we're teaching this stuff, we're always teaching the hard skills. No one's teaching the soft skills of like, you got to get your head right. Like, you can't think that way anymore. That doesn't work anymore. So the nerd that I am, I kind of like nerded down. I went, I'm going to have a group coaching program. So I created Leaderboard to Leadership, and I have the trademark on that. It was like an on-demand program, group coaching. But I still had to work really hard to prospect to get people in these groups, you know? And it really mm -hmm. wasn't a big, the amount of work I did wasn't worth the payoff. It was worth the value, and I, and I love everyone that came to that. But as I look, my definition of, of freedom is making the most amount of money and the most impact in the shortest amount of time. So I went, yes. how do I do this smarter? How do I help more people? Um, I'm a firm believer that sales is an individual game. You can get sales coaching from anyone. And there's a lot of great sales coaches, but leadership is a team sport. And you really shouldn't do leadership development. One, 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 one. You know, mm -hmm. you should really be doing that with the other leaders at your organization, making sure you're all aligned. 
you know, so you're not getting this good tip from Rebecca. And then everyone else is like, well, we don't do it like that. You know, it was like, yeah. so um, then what I ended up doing is I went, I need to learn how to work with corporations and get and, and sign up these big contracts. But I'd never worked in corporate America. I didn't know how to do a proposal. I didn't know how to work my way through that. So I hired, I doubled down and hired the most expensive coach I ever, I ever paid for. Her name's Liz J. Simpson, and she helps women go get corporate clients. And the line that she said, which I love, is if it doesn't make money, it doesn't make sense, <laughs> which was like, Great. 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 Right. <laughs> why so, didn't nobody hit me with this before? Yeah, why doesn't everyone like, yeah, I'm doing all this good stuff, but I'm not making money like I want to make money and I want to help people and have a bigger. So she helped me and I started signing corporate clients. And that's what I do today. And so I, I'm currently mm. scaling my consulting business. Um, and it's just, it's a very fun, but it's a little, I've never been in that boat. I've, I've hired people, right? I did all the hiring and training, but it's different when you're building a team and you pay people whether they produce or not. Right. So it's, it's really exciting, but that's, that's what I do. So I, I have corporations come and buy my 10 week on demand training program that takes leaderboard to leadership, new sales leaders. And I also help organizations with their leadership development, starting from emerging, aspiring leaders, um, all the way to the C-suite, which I have limitations where I can help there. So I'm very honest with what I can help, but just all of the pieces that have to come together that you don't see when you're in it. Um, so we just try to align the culture, the strategy, the vision, and then leadership mm -hmm. development gets intertwined with all of that. And the soft skills that leaders need to know that make an impact on recruiting, retention, and revenue. So that's that might've been a long answer. Look at me. I was like, I don't have a lot of time. <laughs> you know? I'm telling you, see, oh God, I took up half the time explaining, but that's, that's kind of the progression. Um, and because of my burnout, because of that story of how I left family heritage, I'm very obsessed of with going all in without burning out. So I wrote a book about that, about goal setting. Oh, nice. And um, yeah, it came out February, 2020, but it was, Perfect. um, just how to achieve your goals. But instead of just like, just work harder, just work harder. What are you working with? You know, like what's really important? What's your definition of success? So it's kind of like a step-by-step -step thing that I did, but I'm really, um, the stuff that worked for us at Southwestern as college students for 13 weeks, it works in a controlled environment for a short amount of time. But you try to take that thing and do yes. it when you don't have as much energy, you know, like you're not 18, you're not desperate anymore. You're not, you know, it's, it's different. There's other priorities. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you do have to work hard, but some of the mantras and that old way of thinking success principles are success principles, but that doesn't apply to everybody. And I think that it's important just, just saying, okay, is this still working for me? Keep doing it. But if, if you feel like you have to work nonstop because that you look successful. I mean, there's, there's a lot of alumni who are really successful and I, I follow them on social media and they're always posting about everything, but their family, you know, like they're posting the properties that they own and they should be proud of that. 
but they don't, and maybe they don't want to put family on because they're private. I've got a brother who never shows his kids faces, which I think is weird. I'm like, okay, you're not public figures, but whatever, <laughs> you know, but, but that's you're not running for president. Don't do that. I get that, but it's just the priorities of people's lives. And so just kind of like just pausing every now and then and saying, what is, what's success right now? Um, what makes the difference for me now? When, when you look forward, what will really matter? Um, and so I try to yeah. help leaders do that with their teams and people love it. They, they want, they want this stuff at work. They want their leader to ask them about this stuff. They don't want to just be a producing person. So, um, anyway, so there's been a lot of just, you know, life happens. I'm 42, you know, and, um, you know, kids that are in elementary school and I didn't marry a book man. He thinks books is, I met him through, through a book person. I knocked on his door. Can I share this story? This is, yes, yeah, this is <laughs> I'll know. I'll teach these. I'll remember these stories instead of Southwestern ones. But um, my friend, Angie Tuma, now Angie Brooke, who it was a eight summer book girl. She lives in Iowa and she had invited me over for dinner. We both lived in Denver at the time. And um, you didn't text and drive then, you know, and I didn't have Facebook on my phone. So if this were five years later, we would have never met, but I made it across town and I get to her house and I look at my phone and she was like, let's get drinks instead. I'm going out with my roommate. I was like, okay, great. So I was sitting in my car. I had a Honda Civic and it was hot in Denver, but it's not humid, but it was hot. So I had the door open and my foot kind of on the door and I'm looking over, Angie had a duplex and I'm looking at her neighbor's house. And I was like, oh, he's home. I wonder if he's got like a key to her house or something. So I was like hemming and hawing about it. Like literally I couldn't scroll any apps. There was no apps on my phone. And I might've had a Palm Pilot. Remember those? Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Or the Blackberries or whatever it was. It was. Uh, little, with the little ball that you'd scroll. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cool. You, you hit the internet button. You're like, oh my God, this is going to cost $70 at Verizon, which was Altil or something at the time. Yeah, yeah. I got you. Oh, ooh, Sprint. <laughs> ooh, I had Sprint. Oh. Yeah. Oh, what a time. Uh-huh. What a time. And a Hotmail email account. I'll tell you that. Oh one. yeah. Still have that one for my spam. Oh my gosh. That's right. Um, I think I do too, but I can't access it. Um, but I, I, I met Carl at a previous barbecue and I had been seeing someone he had been seeing. Anyway, and I, I was like, I'm going to go knock on his door. I was like, yep. Uh, and I, in, in my head, I was like, this is going to change your life. And when you tell people this story, no one's going to believe you. Literally went through my head. So then I get out of the car and I knock on his door and his dog comes out. And I was like, is your name Cody? And Carl goes, no, it's Carl. Cody's my dog. <laughs> you know, I can't. <laughs> I can't remember people's names. It's a real, it's, it's a liability. And, um, but I was like, That's oh, why. well. So I put mine on there. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, so yeah, know. I know it, it's bad. It's, it's a weakness and I try, but anyway, so I, um, I sat down, I was like, do you have a, do you have a, like a key to her house? Or he's like, no, but you can stay here. And he wasn't, anyway, so I actually met him knocking on his door. And, um, so he knew book people the whole time, but he's like, you did what, you know? And, and I, and I like that he didn't sell books because, um, I just like that, you know, we don't have to always yeah. talk about it. My but wife didn't sell books. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah so when you get together, true. you just talk about it. So when our friends, when we get together, he's like, Oh God, all these stories, yeah. but he, he enjoys <laughs> listening to them. Yeah. I mean, this, that is my job is to talk about book stories. Like, like literally that's, this is what I do. So my, my wife has just been kind of, I mean, she listens in sometimes. Uh, 
and she'll go I, she'll stop you know she'll come to me like i can't believe you guys did that <laughs> like you just still she's been used to it my brother's a dsm married a book girl right like my parents hosted for the last eight years each they're divorced in the evening like, yeah my mom hosted since 2013 my second summer every year it's usually europeans they're in nebraska okay um, but but still like it's just, so it's southwestern's like all over our family you know and she, my wife's still like what the hell it's or when we meet a book person in the wild oh it's we were staying at an airbnb oh, it's, sorry i've never told the story but we were sitting at an airbnb and this lady i i don't know how it came up but i told this lady that i used to knock door oh she asked me why i was so personable she's like how do you like my like, oh, i learned it when i was selling books she goes you sold books i'm like was it for a company in nashville and i go yeah she goes my brother did that and my wife just goes ah oh, she's like it's just like it's, it's you know we're everywhere you think it's one or two places? No, it's like chicken. No, pot. it's a lot of places. Yeah, it's a lot of places. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, man, that's uh-huh. awesome. Okay, so I have a couple of questions because yeah. of what you were saying, and I'm keeping an eye on time. So um, there's two things that you said that really caught my attention. I mean, a ton of things, but two that were really like, I got curious. One is you said, uh, who was a person at Family Heritage? Peter, no. Peter Ferret. Peter Ferret. You said that there, you were really impressed. What, what, what about him was impressive? If like, what, what gotcha? Yeah. So those of you, Peter Frey, we always call him like the godfather. He, um, he was the first European sales manager. So he kind of like opened up Europe. Um, and he, he's not a very tall man. I think he's like five, nine, but you just want to stand taller when you're in Peter's presence. He has this intensity and I, he was very, um, I didn't have any, like, I didn't, I wasn't shy about what I didn't want to do. And he was always very open about if this is what you really want to accomplish, how can you use this business instead of like, how do we keep you as long as we can? How can you use this business to actually do what you eventually really want to do? But Peter was always, um, focused on running a business, like a business, taking the emotion out of things. And he attracted really sharp people to work with him. And he, you just, just those types of leaders that the things that they say, you're like, I want, I see something in him that I want to be. And I think that's what it was. But there's a lot of people who are listening to this that know him and they would definitely say the same thing about him um he's he's quite a legend <laughs> he's quite a legend. that's yeah i imagine i would it'd be great to have him on here i was just asking because i was just actually recording with uh, dana potoff yesterday and she mentioned uh, steven adams i think was the guy at tom james and she said the same thing that he had something about him that immediately she was like i will work for this guy and the, what she described specifically was that he literally sat down with her before he like tried to recruit her or whatever and he said he said my whole purpose with this conversation is to try to earn your trust and he was just like open and transparent about it. And it just like blew her mind that because in Southwestern, that was the transparency wasn't necessarily in the top priorities. We'll just say it that way. That's um, the understatement of the episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, which is, I think, why people like this show, because it's all about like that transparency, like man behind the curtain. Uh, yeah. Good or bad. Yeah. And so but anyway, yeah. so I just was curious to see like if there was something like that, that like. That, but I know, I know what you mean when you meet a person that's just sharp and you're like, ah, you, you, you know, Dan Moore's like that or Matt Atchison was like that, like, is like that where you're like, dude, I get it, <laughs> you know, 
Yeah. And Peter was a, um, and still is, he's a, well, he's actually, he's different now since he retired. So, but he is just wired to be a challenger and he always pushes the limits on what people think are possible for themselves. Um, I actually spoke to him a few months ago, um, uh, helping me actually scale my current business, just uh, picking his brain a little bit on how to level up as the commas and the contracts, you know, you add commas to your contracts. He kind of goes yeah. like messes with you a little bit. So, um, but yeah, he's just, he's different. He's when you, you have to pick anyone who's in, you have to pick your boss. Like I always say, it's always the leader. It's always the manager. This is why I'm so passionate about training leaders, but you need to pick your boss. And I think I did a very, I didn't know I was doing it at the time. I didn't like know that, but people get out of college. They want to pick like tech or they want to pick something that's sexy or they want to, you need to pick your boss. And I really wanted a mentor. I was leaving a phenomenal mentor and I, and I knew I needed someone and I wasn't, I always call myself a late bloomer. I had like a really awkward 20 years from about eight to 28 years old, super awkward, you know, like just, um, and then 28, I was like, I'm here, <laughs> you know, like I know I'm who alive. I am finally. I'm not as rough around the edges anymore. Like I got it. Um, and so I knew there were things that I needed to learn. I didn't know what they were. And I, but I wanted to learn from great people. So it wasn't just Peter. I didn't work with him directly. I worked with Nancy Wright Maxwell, who is DSM at Southwestern for many years. And she was just a joy to work with as well. But Peter was the one who recruited me. And then Nancy also had follow-up questions with me. And I went, I can learn here. And it's, I'm not just going to make a bunch of money. I'm going to actually be a better person. And I liked who mm. I was going to be placed with. I knew I'd be taken care of. And I thought, so that's, that's beautiful. It's yeah. you, there was the your perspective was I want to grow and this person will help me grow. You just knew it. You like when you know that, you know that. You just feel that vibe. You go, okay. And trusting that is huge. Wow. Um, and then my second question is more a little bit about now with your business. So um something I always like to ask people who are coaches or who like do this is you work with a lot of people who are doing uh, a lot of really cool things in a lot of really great industries, right? But there's, is there like a common theme that you find or like common mistakes that people make that if you could say, Hey, these are like the top two or three things where don't do this. If you're a C level person, or if you're a leader, like this is out of all the clients I've had, this is the most common thing that happens. Is there something like that, that, that you can shed some light on? Um, I probably could. Um, <laughs> that's a very sure. simple question, but it's actually kind of complex because I'll, I'll answer the top I'll answer that for sales leaders. A lot of the, a lot of people at Southwestern sure. alumni are still in sales or people who are watching this probably sell books. Um, I think some of the biggest mistakes for sales leaders going from the leaderboard to leadership is they don't do the mindset shift. They don't start identifying differently. Oh. They don't think about stuff different. They just go, here's what worked for me in the past. I'm going to keep doing this. And so I have a lit, I have like a, I've got 10 things I kind of go through of like, this is the shift you got to make. This is the shift. But who are you identifying as? Because a lot of new sales leaders still identify as a heavy hitting salesperson. It's not going to yes. help you when you're a sales leader. 
I understand. You know, yeah. And, and there's a difference between leadership and management, right? Because a good manager, because oftentimes in Southwestern, what they would tell you your second summer, your B summer would be, if you want to be a good B manager, then you got to be the perfect first year, right? Like that was like the, the spiel, right? You sit down in the B manager meeting and they'd say, okay, you got first years that are under you now, they're going to be following you. So the best way is just like lead by example, which is like the entry level management, really. It just means you got to, what that really is saying is master your basics. But then there's a difference between mastering your basics and what you're saying, which is now you're wearing a different hat. You're wearing the leadership hat, which is not the management hat. And it's not the salesman or woman hat. It's you're a leader. And there's other stuff that comes with that. And making that mental shift, that's huge. Ah, thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The mental shift is big. Um, I actually disagree. What they're saying is absolutely true in the Southwestern world. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. but if you, you're a manager, be a salesperson. No, you're just a selling leader that you're not leading anything. Um, you're leading by example, but you're not, which producing, this is another, this is tricky too in sales. Cause you, when you're a producing sales leader, you don't know what you're doing. You're, you're doing everything yeah. <laughs> and no one quite knows how to help you because it's the varying amount of you, how long it takes you to sell something. You still got to prove yourself. It, that's, that's it. That doesn't work. Most organizations don't do it like that because your time and attention are split and you're doing nothing really well. It's just, yeah. it's really, really hard. Um, so they're absolutely right with, you know, you lead by example, but if all you're doing is leading by example, you're not leading or managing anyone. You're just becoming a super seller. Um, but absolutely there's a difference between leading your own self in sales, leading other salespeople, and then leading other sales leaders. And, how you spend your time, who you're developing, um, what you should be valuing. I, I talk about the temptation of talent where we tend to do things we're good at, but yeah. what's your role? You know, like um, you, you, you want to use your strengths. You want to go all in with people's strengths, but you can't just go back to what you always, we, we do that as you, as you level up the first level leaders, because they, they don't have a ton of wins under their belt. They don't know how to lead yet because they've never done it. They go, I'm just going to go back to what I'm good at and sell a ton and I'm going to show them I can lead and then they'll listen to me. And it's like, well, that's not. So, so there's a little, there's a couple different shifts, but I was just, I'm, I'm prepping a time and energy piece for a, a program that I'm developing that we're going to be marketing to a specific industry. And I'm just was like, yep, time and energy. You got to make because how you value and you use your time is going to be different. And what happens is very successful people like I'm just going to work, work hard. I'm going to add this to my plate and take nothing off my plate. And then we wonder why people burn out or their teams feel abandoned and they feel like they're failing because they're trying to do everything and not winning in anything in particular. Oof. Yeah, that's so good. Write that down, people. Write that unless you're driving then don't write that down. That's bad. Or just go back um, to minute 30. You can find it there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll share this as a reel. So you can just watch it over and over on Instagram. Um, that's so good. Um, okay. So keep an eye on the time. So let, let me shift a little bit into some Southwestern stuff. I always love asking people's origin stories. Like how the heck did you get into Southwestern in the first place? And then kind of like the firsts, right? First customer or first store, if you remember those. I mean, most people remember them, but sometimes we... Shove, shoved them away in a drawer. <laughs> how, did, how did you first get into Southwestern? Um, I filled out a form in class. Like, do you want to make $7,000? I said, yes. And it was <laughs> the first week of second semester. And I had just gone home. I had a fight with my roommate 
And I had gone back home and I was like, I don't want to go back to school. I was, wasn't the poorest kid at Marquette University, but I was hanging out with very wealthy people. I just didn't feel like I fit in, right? I wasn't a suburb kid and I didn't have an unlimited, you know, party budget and, you know, clothes and all that stuff. But um, I literally went from, I can't go back to school to I'm never going back home. <laughs> you know, it was, you know, and I knew, I knew home wasn't good for me. My hometown is um, 1200 people. It's 30 miles South of green Bay. And I've got great friends that are still at home, but I knew like staying there wasn't going to be good for me. And, uh, but anyway, yep, filled out the thing. And I went to the interview and Chris Fugman, my sales manager ran the interview. But when I had the, when I had the call, right. When, when Heather Furness, my student manager was calling and she's like, so where are you from? And I'm like, Reedsville. And she's like, get out. I'm from, where was she from? Denmark. Or she was from like somewhere in my, our home conference, the high school conference. Sure. So I just trusted her. Right. I just completely trusted her. And I was like, oh, cool. Okay. So I'm this little comfort zone. If I can't leave my home, I got to find someone to kind of leave with. So um, I was very, I was always really mature. I always had a really good work ethic, but I had very low emotional intelligence. I didn't know how to um, handle some things. So I wish I could tell you my first customer. I don't remember. I do yeah, remember. Good. My first day, not knowing how to, it was raining in, in Knoxville, Tennessee. And Kenny Chesney's stepmom was our breakfast waitress, right? Like she thinks my tractor sexy had just come out and I thought he was ridiculous. I thought he was really stupid. And then we found out she wasn't a waitress for long, but um, sidebar. But I knocked on this guy's door three times in a row, right after he said he's going to call the cops if I knock on his door one more time. I just was lost. You got lost. Yeah. Yeah. I think I got in like eight demos all day. And my student manager, Heather was like, I got to work with her. I just didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to communicate to suburban moms. I didn't know how to work myself emotionally through challenging things. So I knew how to work hard physically, but I didn't know how to work hard emotionally. And um, so I learned that I learned that my first, my first summer and I had funny stories of that summer and it ended up, I was, I was uh, 20 units short of hitting the sizzler. So I actually bought a volume mm. library to go home <laughs> and I sold the volume library to a family friend, kind of like the book kids now are selling to family and friends. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that was my start. So it's just funny. as bad as insurance. That's a, this is like my track record, you know? But that's what happens, you know, you, normally. That's like a normal trajectory, right? Is before you can be good, you got to be bad. Before you got to be bad, you got to suck. <laughs> that kind of thing. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but how, how, I mean, you wanted to come back. How did you end up deciding that this is going to be a, I mean, did you know it was going to be like a five summer thing? You go, I'm going to do this through college. Or was it just one at a time? You're just like, I guess. No, I, um. well, I felt like I was seen, you know, like I was always just dorky. Like on my first Sizzler I didn't know to bring like party dresses. Like I brought tennis shoes. I didn't even bring like something to wear. Like that was like my, <laughs> like I remember being like, what, are, what did you pack? Like, I don't know. Cause Heather was kind of dorky too. Like my, my student manager, she's still dorky. I love her. Like she's, you know, like she would, she would say, yep, totally. She wears it with pride. And I, I just didn't know. So that was kind of a funny whole situation. 
but I had fun on the sizzler. If I didn't, if I didn't hit the sizzler, I don't think I would have come back, but then, but then they got me to sign up. And if I say I'm doing something, I'm doing something. And then my first summer as a manager, that was atrocious as well. It turned out. Okay. It was just, it was a, I learned a lot, but I, I grew right. I went from like 1600 units to it was over 3000. I, I think I doubled. Sure. I think it was like 3,200 maybe. Wow. And then it, I just kept growing and I went, this is, I can't make any more money anywhere else. I'm, I don't want to go back and work at the paper mill. That's what I did after my senior year. I, I worked at a paper mill and I was like, I don't want to do that. So I didn't, I didn't have any options. And I think I was talking to one of my clients and uh, we were out to breakfast. He was like, so what did you do? And I was telling him, he goes, see if you just work hard enough. And I was like, but I was desperate. I had nowhere else to turn. Like if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be able to go back to school. Right. Like my parents were not going to dish out money in the middle of seven. You know, I, we just didn't have any options. And I feel sometimes when you burn the boats and you really commit to something and you like play mind games with yourself that you have no other option, but you really got to like commit. I committed out of desperation, you know? Yeah. I mean, and that makes sense if you got nowhere else to go and then there's a group of people who are pushing you to try to be better or whatever, like you can go make money and it's fun and they're cool people. I mean, it's a pretty easy decision from that point. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, these and cool you're growing. You're getting better at it my, too. Yeah. They put up with my dorkiness partying and I was like, oh, okay. And I just, I made good friendships, you know, and I was like, like-minded people. And I think I probably bought into, you know, who you surround yourself with, had never heard that before. Um, and I was like, well, I kind of want to hang out with these cool people. And if they're going to hang out with a dork like me, like I'm just going to hang out a little bit longer. <laughs> if I'm cool here, I'll stay cool here. I'll, it's fine. I'll stay. <laughs> I'll stay forever. Yeah. No, that's how they get you. Yeah. They recognize your uncool coolness. That's what it yeah. is. That's what yes. it is. Um, okay. Keep an eye on the time. I want to make sure we're conscious of this. So, uh, let's. I'm going to do a quick pause for some of our sponsors and then we'll go into some uh, ponytails slash rapid fire questions that we typically have for you. Is that Perfect. okay? I want okay. to be respectful of your time. Thank right, you. So here we go, guys. Just hang on a sec. If you guys want to support us, listen to these ads. We'll be right back. Awesome. Hey, guys, this is Pedro Vega with Cardinal Ooh. Senior Benefits. Hey, guys, this is Pedro Vega with Cardinal Senior Benefits. Today, I'm going to talk about getting paid fast. One of the things that blew me away about this industry is that if I make some good decisions, you know, work really hard on Monday, I can see the fruits of my labor literally within 48, you know, 24 to 48 hours. I wake up, I, you form the habit of checking your checking account just to see the direct deposits come in day after day after day. And it makes you want to do it again and again and again. So guys, I hope you guys are enjoying the show and uh, thank you so much for listening. So one of the things that I had to do when first starting the business was figure out how to get a client. That's important. Well, it turns out in real estate, the number one way that people will choose an agent is from a friend's recommendation. So as I started to spread the word about what I was doing as a realtor, guess what happens? All of a sudden my phone rings and it's a friend of a friend who said, hey, we heard great things about you. Could you help us buy a house? That's how we find clients. And who doesn't like finding clients when your phone rings and they're calling you? So that was a word from uh, from our sponsors, Pat uh, Roach at Southwest Real Estate and Pedro Vega. If you guys want to hear more about working in an opportunity like that, check out the links below. They are always looking for some solid book people. Could be a good place for you to land. Great co opportunities, good com uh, compensation, and I mean, obviously, phenomenal culture given those two leaders. So that's or you guys just DM us. We'll get you in touch with them. Um, 
Thanks for that, Rebecca. That's so fun. Don't you love Pat and, and Pedro? I don't know if you ever met Pedro, but. I, I have not met him in person. I've spoken to him several times. Oh, Pedro's yeah. great. Pedro's yeah, great. so fun. Um, okay, this is where we do rapid fire questions. We should have enough time for this and then a couple of pony tales, although some pony tales might come from this. The reason we do rapid fire is to jog your memory. So here we go. Out of your favorite summers, what was your favorite city, county, or state that you sold in? Huntington Beach, California. <laughs> well, that's not bad. No. That's a pretty good territory. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, did you? What was your favorite kind of turf, whether it was like country, big bricks, suburbia, low income, high income? Country. Small town, small town people. Yeah. Yeah. Country. You could, you just, the rejection was just not as bad, not, not as bad, you know, and they always, you got more sit downs that way. Um, did you, if you listen to advanced sales, what was your favorite advanced sales like tape or CD? Oh, I wouldn't be able to answer this one. I would Most not be able to remember. More Dutley or the Bill Zizzy one. <laughs> yeah, I did listen to Bill. Yeah. I would say, I would, I'll just say Mort. We'll keep this rapid. I'll say Mort. It's a safe one. Um, your favorite HQ? In, Hunting all, in Huntington Beach, California. Yep. Were you on the beach? We we were a half a mile from the beach. We were a couple oh, we were a couple blocks. Yeah, and I never got off schedule. But we I lived. I was going to say, how'd you stay on schedule? Yeah, because I didn't know. I didn't. I, you know, I don't want to be a bad person and get off. I I never got. I got off schedule my very last day of selling books. I called Fugman and I said, I'm going to the bar and I'm getting drunk today. And me and another girl, it was like the whole org had left. I literally never even like sat in a park and took a nap. I never got off schedule. Now I mentally was off. Right. And I, but I physically was oh, never in six years. He was like, all right, Campana, go, go get drunk. So that's what Jeez. I did. But, but no, but the, um, in Huntington beach, we live with a single mom and her three daughters and we lived for free. And, uh, oh. I lived with the number one first year that summer, Heidi Wanta. And she knocked on that door and she, as a first year, convinced her to not even charge us for rent. So. Wow. What summer was this? That was 2003. That was my fourth wow. summer. Great summer. Um, we'll have to try to get Heidi on here because we like to talk to the number one first years. Oh yeah. Yeah. Badass like that. Okay. Um, favorite, uh, or I guess this is favorite or best sales day. It doesn't necessarily have to be in units. It could just be like a day where you're like, that was the most fun I had on the book field that day. Um, I don't remember my best book day, but I remember my first hundred unit day. And it was when I had laryngitis and I couldn't talk. I um, made note cards of my approach. No. And I was like, hi, I'm Rebecca. No, I would have been Becky at the time. I was like, hi, my name is Becky. And then I showed him cards and I sold 120 units. And I was like, <laughs> no shit. If you just let people talk, they buy. Like I had like talk about a sign from God, you know, um, oh, that was my first hundred unit day. Um, I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever broke 200 units. I don't know. I don't think that I that's did. That's awesome. Yeah. But that, that's, that's kind of like, is there, isn't that a movie where he like shows up with the signs and he's like, I'm just yeah. a guy. Love actually, I think they have yeah, like yeah. memes on it, you know, and like spoofs of it. Yeah. That was you. I'm that just was a girl me. standing in front of a mom asking for her to buy something. Yeah. <laughs> Just a girl. Yeah, exactly. And it was. <laughs> it worked. Um, 120 years. Really so it bucks today. Um, okay. Favorite breakfast spot. 
Oh, Rockville, Maryland. There was a little, it was something diner. And I'm sure one of my roommates would remember the name of it, but we had to, uh, it was like six booze and the whole thing. And we do execs on the parking lot. It was a suburb of DC, Rockville is. And the, the chef was like, probably an ex-Marine, you know, but just, we, we loved that place. Yeah. Uh, you got to love a good breakfast spot. Mm -hmm. I was trying to look it up on the map. Okay. And the last one is best or favorite follow day, whether someone followed you or you followed them. Ooh. I had a couple memorable ones. I worked with um, Christy Geiger, now Han, Christy Han, who was always... She, she kind of battled back and forth. I think she was number one several times, but following her was always fun. Or her twin sister, Jolene. Jolene was a little more fun in the field. Christy was a little more like serious. Christy always sold more than Jolene, but Jolene was always like, that was fun. But then also um, with uh, Katie Capazzo, which I forget what her married, Bartman now. And she was always number one as well, but just very chill. You know, um, those were, those were memorable. I don't think I ever flew to follow somebody. Hey, that's great. I like, man, there's so many cool book women out there that we, and to be fair, we just get, because of the nature of like the nineties and there's like, especially we just get so many dudes. I'm like, we need to diversify a little bit as, as, well, as a brown man. Exactly. I'm like, we don't even have that many Hispanics on there either. Yeah. But when I was filling up the form, you didn't even have like OIS as an option. You just had like power. So I was like, I don't think he's talked to anybody in OIS. And there's a lot of uh, cool people we worked with. Elie Cohen was the only OIS person I can think okay. of that we've had okay. for sure. Yeah. And then, yeah, but we don't have that many OIS. It also, before we get to ponytails, there's, there's actually a really funny thing where uh, we'll go through like a, like a, like if we get a force person on, they'll recommend a bunch of force people. So we'll have like out of 20 episodes, like, 12 of them are forced and then we'll get one other person and then we'll get all of that you know it's so it's just a kind of funny but i think maybe we'll break into always now i think oh. we're about to just have a, have oh. a month of always yeah who knows um okay and then now we can just jump into a ponytail or two if you have a couple of stories that again for people who are listening this is the first episode this is usually where we have like this is the funniest thing the craziest thing the most empowering thing the most memorable thing that i can remember that happened to me on the book field or sometimes it's just here's like lessons i learned and how i reflect back on it or that kind of stuff so i'll leave it to you Re rebecca your ponytails go for it yeah i i have heard people tell stories about the book field and i'm always very i don't want to use the word jealous but i wish i could tell stories the way as some people tell stories right like there's just storytellers that bring you in through the whole thing so that's not me so just you know grain of salt, but I'll share my first summer was, oh, it was very, like, it was very, um, traumatic. It was very, very different. But I remember this as I actually started believing in what the cult, you know, my parents thought it was a cult and they thought my mom was depressed and worried all summer, that poor woman. Um, but I was like, oh, I actually believe them. You know, we were always told the answer lies behind the next door. The answer lies behind the next door, watch your expenses. And I had been a biker my first summer. And I was, I had dropped so much weight and I'd wake up in the middle of the night with Charlie horses, um, just excruciating pain, right? Cause I wasn't getting enough potassium. I wasn't drinking enough water during the day. Cause I was a biker, but I wasn't getting enough potassium. And I didn't want to spend the dollar 20 on a banana at breakfast because I wasn't making any money and I, I wanted to watch my expenses. I wouldn't even, that sounds dumb, right? Like bananas are 35, 
35 cents a pound or whatever. I don't know, whatever they were back in the golden days. But um, I remember like trudging through having a really bad day. And this guy opens up his door and he looks at me up and down and he goes, girl, you look like you need some potassium. Come on in here. <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to go in a house with a man, you know? And I said, uh, I'm selling books. He goes, I know we got those girl. Come on in here. And he literally set the biggest bowl of fruit in front of me with bananas and strawberries. And I just sat there, you know, eating these bananas and I was like, holy shit, the answer does lie behind the next door, <laughs> you know? Like, So I knew, and then from that moment, I kind of knew like, if I just work hard, if I just keep moving, all of my needs will be taken care of, right? Like things will work out if I just keep moving. And so, um, yeah, I wish I had like other really wow. fun stories. Like, there's like some famous people. I know I've met famous people, but you know, it's just, I, um, that was a very big one. That's like burnt into my brain. Yeah. But that's, there's people think that that's not that, you know, you're saying, Oh, that's not that big. That is a big story. That is a big story of, of just like, uh, whether you believe in the universe or God or whatever providing, you know, like you say, you just got, you're not going to die. And if you die, I guess that was what was supposed to happen. That's right. okay. You know, like, yeah, all right, we'll throw a party. I mean, for me anyway. Uh, but you know, you only die once you deserve a party. You deserve so, a party. A really good one. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and, but, but if you don't die, then when, then the opposite of not dying is it works out. You know what I'm saying? Which means right. you probably should just keep moving anyway and it's okay. It'll be fine. That's a huge lesson to learn in life. Dang. I love this. Okay. All right. You know what? Well, that's a good one to end on. I'm glad we got a good short one in there and uh, we'll leave it at this one. Guys, thank you so much for listening in. We'll be back tomorrow. We're flying out to uh, record with Dan Moore. Actually, I'm flying later today. I have a flight. So look forward to that episode and a bunch of other ones to come. Thank you so much. My name is Andre. See you guys.